We're going live in five, four. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the Coffee Sometimes podcast. Choo, 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 choo. I am your host, Ross Walters, and I've got my best friends, Ethan Rivers and Riley Westbrook with me. Riley, tell me, what was your one favorite thing you did this weekend? I One thing only. Can, I, can I be Ross? You can be a Ross now. Okay. <laughs> um, I took <laughs> Giselle fishing. No. And You're kidding. I'm not kidding. Tell me more. Dead Tell me. Serious. <laughs> I saw that uh, Barbie fishing pole yeah. that Rachel posted on Instagram. We went to Walmart. She flexed on Instagram. <laughs> Dang. We went to Walmart. We bought a $13 Barbie. Flex. Uh, yeah, I have $13 to spare. Um, a Barbie fishing pole and bought some bait, bought some, Night you know, crawlers, some something. light tackle. You buy like live bait? No, no, just uh, like basically like I grew up fishing with corn and mm. bread at the lake, just like catching bread cornbread, ever cornbread <laughs> separately. <laughs> well, that's the thing. They don't like cornbread. You, you would think they like what? corn and bread. They do you throw like, it into the water or do you just put it on your hook? What? Like the corn <laughs> and the bread, do you like just throw it in the water and then the fish come and then you throw your, <laughs> your line? Or do you, and you like try to hook them with the hook? So Is that what, what you're saying? In this scenario, like what's on the hook? <laughs> just more corn or more okay. bread? I don't well, yeah, I mean, you're you're talking about, you know, chum chumming. Is that chum. chumming? Is, <laughs> yeah, is that chumming. the correct term? We'll call it chumming. Chum. Welcome to fishing sometimes. Um, no, no. Even though that like that could work. Um, thank you. I yeah, man. It's cool. So you, you just got your bobber and you got your hook and you just cast cast it with corn on it. But catch anything? No. We went there Lake and Lanier. it was insanely windy. You know mm -hmm. how it's been windy lately? Oh yeah. There's chatter. We we were uh standing on like the point of this of this park and uh, there's no tree cover around and it was just like like Phoebe my uh, my nine month old was there and the wind literally just knocked her over. Oh, yeah, <laughs> just straight up. <laughs> she was sitting there and uh, it, so it ended up just like not being that fun of a time and it was really cold. But it's still your favorite thing for sure. You had a terrible weekend. Is that what you're trying to tell? Us? No, it was great. <laughs> it was great. And then we went fishing again last night. What? Um, and it was super fun. It was just me and Giselle and uh, didn't catch anything. Ah. When I was growing up, you could just throw corn in the lake and it would get you back would, in your day. You were about to catch a fish. You could chum, you know, some corn in the water. I didn't really chum, but um, <laughs> but uh, oh, the chum bucket makes sense now. Yeah, nowadays it uh, it we just, we just feel like there's less fish out there. But we Dude, you've been twice <laughs> and yeah. you did it with a four year old. She's three. Ah, um, but you know, with my level of expertise on fishing, I expected to catch some fish. Did you watch the news fishing report though before you went? I forgot. That's probably it. Was probably the wind, yeah, keeping them down. It's true. I did see somebody else catch a fish, but anyways, you're how, like, how, dang it, yeah, caught a little catfish, but it was cool. Giselle got to see the catfish. Mm. They showed it off to her. Mm -hmm. Wow. Hey, can I get my answer now yeah. as Riley? Yes. You're not going to believe this. My favorite thing I did this weekend was 
I went fishing. Seriously? Yeah. Dang. How about that? Guess who he went with? You're going to be so jealous. Block. Dude. That's a that's good a guess. That's a great guess. Dale. Nice. Dale. I feel like that would make him way less jealous than if it was Block. It's <laughs> funny because uh, I know Dale only ever listens to the first 10 minutes of the podcast. So he's definitely <laughs> listening to this point. <laughs> hey, Dale. And so hey, I will Dale. say this. I caught two fish. Dale, not so much. Oh, that's got to hurt. Sorry, Dale. That's got to hurt, Dale. Well, now he's tuning out a yeah. few minutes right. early. Hey, have a good day, Dale. Appreciate you weekend. tuning in. <laughs> All right, now. Uh, but yeah, we went up to, drove up to Raven County. That's awesome, dude. 5.45 a.m., fished until lunch, had lunch in Clayton, came home. Where? Fortify Pie. Ooh, I've been. We went together. Yeah, you're right. We did. It's pretty good. I'm a fan of the place. We've all been together. On our one little, we did like a little vacation that one time, a couple years back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got to get back up there. Oh, maybe this time you get you on the creek, huh? Hey, how about it? You already know. All right, Ethan. How about you, man? One, only one, one thing. One thing. Uh, took a nice big walk around my neighborhood with uh, the family and our roomie Ariel. It was nice. Went to uncharted waters in the neighborhood. There's a couple like off streets I've never been down. Mm-hmm. And the weather was perfect. It was windy, but we're in the woods. Tree cover. Tree coverage. And then my little guy, he took a like 45-minute nap in my arms. Winning. My arms did get really tired, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was sweet. That's awesome, man. I said, this is living now. So this week, we're going to be talking about the book. You remember the book, Unreasonable Hospitality? Haven't talked about it in ages. I'm sure you're all done reading the book at this point. Yeah, for sure. But we are going to just kind of breeze over chapter four. So if you want to pause the podcast and read chapter four, go for it. You don't even have to pause it. We'll just give you time. Yeah. Okay, should be yeah. done. Okay, <laughs> and so uh, we're gonna do that, and then we're just gonna we're gonna talk extraction a little bit, a little a little bit about extraction. Can can we please talk about the draft for like five seconds? Yes, if you don't want to hear the draft, we'll save it for the end. And if you don't want to hear the book, timestamps will be below. And if you don't want to hear about extraction, sorry, you have to. Just, if you don't want to hear about any of those things, then maybe find the, a different maybe podcast. Maybe this isn't the podcast for you. <laughs> Or tell us what you do want to listen to, and we'll, and we'll talk about that. For sure. We'll do anything anyone wants. We can talk catfish. We can just go back to fishing. Cat People catfishing fishing, other yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, what would you guys think about Chapter Quattro? I actually would like to read an excerpt from the book. This is on page 26. In setting the table, Danny Myers' groundbreaking book <laughs> about enlightened hospitality. Groundbreaking? Hey, that too. <laughs> He tells a story about a couple celebrating their anniversary at one of his restaurants. Midway through their meal, they remember they've left a bottle of champagne in the freezer. They call the sommelier over to ask if it's likely to explode before they get home. Almost certainly, yes. The sommelier saves the day by taking their keys and rescuing the bottle so the couple can relax and finish their celebratory meal. Mm. When they arrive home, they find the champagne safely tucked into their fridge along with a tin of caviar, a box of chocolates, and an anniversary card from the restaurant. That is cool. Yeah. I remember, uh, and I I do this less now, because I think we've figured out our business model a little bit more, but it's always great to do this more. But just sitting there and 
thinking about how could I blow people's minds today in the cafe? Totally. What is anything I could possibly do that would be, and here's the key, it being unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, unreasonable. Or dare I say unreasonable. Do you want me to edit the unexpected part out? No, it's cool. Um, but that, just to break that down, it's, it's pretty obvious, but you know, the couple, they're already like, just just picture this service experience happening at whatever restaurant that doesn't care about service. First of all, the couple's probably going to just be scared to ask anyone anything besides what they can order from the kitchen totally. in the first place. Totally. So they're already in a place where they're in an environment that feels comfortable and safe and like they're just a part of the family eating. Mm-hmm. So they feel... Like, oh, I can ask the sommelier who might be intimidating to some people. Hey, in your professional opinion, is this champagne bottle going to explode? Sommelier is like, yes. So the sommelier, who is like one of the more important people in the restaurant, takes their keys, goes home to like to their house and takes the bottle out of the freezer and puts it in the fridge. And that is just so not a part of their business model, is it? It's no, it's completely out of the ordinary and it's unreasonable but it's memorable um and obviously that he goes even farther above and beyond and you know gives them a a tin of caviar box of chocolates and an anniversary card no no doubt handwritten um that that's so memorable and so the thing that most impressed me was yes there are these times where there's this moment, there's this opportunity to step up in a huge way and you seize that moment in a big way. And you're not going to like do that again all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's that side of it, which is very important, but that's just one, one service experience, right? One couple that came in one, one interaction, but then they go on to talk about, um, yeah, the following, let me just read it real quick. That story and many others like it circulated through the company, meaning the story that I just told. They primed uh, every one of us to seek out new ways to make our guests' experience a little more seamless, relaxing, and delightful. And so the first time a guest mentioned she was going to have to get up mid-meal to feed the meter a few blocks away, it was natural for us to offer to do that for her. But before this paragraph, they were talking about how uh, there was this one time where someone that was sitting at the table forgot to feed the parking meter. And so the server was just like, okay, I'll just go feed the meter for you on us. Like put 50 cents in the meter and prolong your stay. So you can just enjoy yourself and buy more stuff. (laughs) Sure. Um, so, but they, they started to make that a policy. Whoa. So you see what I'm contrasting here. One, the first story is, is just this once in once in a, you know, lifetime, sort of like, oh, I just seized a moment. But this next one of, of feeding the meter, whenever uh, people would walk up to the, the host station, they would ask, how did you get here tonight? And if they said, oh, we drove here. And then the next question would be like, where did you park? Yeah. And they were like, what color is your car? And so they made it a matter of policy, you know, that like they would be checking on the guests' meters as they were eating um, and it like it like it says it's like it's only 50 cents in the meter but it it blows people's minds and it's really memorable so I'm, I'm just really interested in 
not only just the once in a lifetime seize the moment blow your mind stuff but also like like our version of this would be first timer stickers it's like a you know a cheap sticker that we just give to people that is unexpected and it's memorable i'm really interested in those those things you know having more of those that are just part of our service experience that aren't too much of a burden on our team to pull off uh, but are still super high yield as far as people remembering this service experience. You got any ideas cooking? Not really. Um, I, I read this this morning, so I've just been thinking about it, but uh, the, the gesture that they're talking about, they said it's called a grace note, which is a sweet but non-essential addition to your experience. Mm. I love that. Non-essential, but it's still like, you know, memorable and, and sweet. And you don't want to mix them up. Uh, I was thinking, I was laughing to myself, thinking about like trying to systematize like a one-off incredible thing. The sommelier goes to every table. Did you leave anything in your freezer or, right. or refrigerator we could go home and take care of for you? <laughs> mm-hmm. But be like having the empathy to notice patterns in people of like, okay, almost everyone that comes here parks. All right. They're probably stressed about parking and where to park and X x y and z yeah how can we help meet them where they are and like make their stay here better yeah sweet it's having that uh you know five-star hotel level of hospitality applied to a coffee shop that's even more unexpected people don't expect to receive that kind of hospitality at a coffee shop so um we're definitely in a prime position to surprise people are you about to write a book called Unexpected Hospitality by <laughs> Ross Walters? I think that's uh, probably already been written. Well, we've built in a lot of these things of like, we know that it's kind of a hassle to, you know, cream and sugar up your own coffee, right? And like have that whole setup. It's like, we'll just take care of that for you. Yeah. Lids, straws, we'll take care of that for you. But then it is fun to just keep going down that rabbit hole of like, what are ways that we can just make this time more seamless, more carefree? for you it's beautiful um and i think he ends that time by saying like the more normal it became for us to give this little gift the more extraordinary it seemed to be for the people receiving it so it's like oh yeah this is just how we roll yeah like we're thinking about this and they're like i've never been to a restaurant that would ever do this and you're over here like this is normal Mm -hmm. sweet it sounds expensive too, you know, like to, to have all of these extra things that you do, like you can't just, whenever you're thinking about building out the schedule in terms of how many labor dollars you're going to spend on a given Tuesday, you know, like you can't just think, oh, well we can just staff two or three people behind the bar cause we'll just get by, you know, through the rush in that way. And we'll, we'll save money on labor, but it's thinking more big picture as far as well, yeah, we can get by a rush with three people, but we're definitely not going to be able to do any of these, do anything above and beyond, you know, extra. Totally. So it, it, it is a decision that needs to be made at the, the highest levels of the company, you know, to, to put the amount of people and resources you need to pull these types of things off, which is, is a, hard, a hard conversation. It's very intangible, and it's a long-term strategic play. Totally. Something backing up a little bit before this story that was a good uh, think piece for me. 
he was talking about leadership. He said, two things happen when the best leaders walk into a room. The people who work for them straighten up a little, making sure that everything's perfect, and they smile too. That's how we, that's how we were when Floyd, the, this guy's boss, walked into a room. Tabla, the restaurant, was his big crazy dream, and everyone who worked for him would do whatever we could to help him make it a success. Yeah, I thought that was cool too. Mm. Yeah. I liked this little bit here that says, athletic hospitality meant always looking for a win, whether you were playing offense, making an already great experience even better, or defense, apologizing for and fixing an error. Be the Swan reminded us that all the guests should see was a gracefully curved neck and meticulous white feather sailing across the pond surface, not the webbed feet churning furiously below, driving the glide. So they were just talking about some of the verbiage that they use. Um, and that's very common in the restaurant industry, uh, little um, shorthand type of things. So you don't have to have a conversation about it to say something. Um, but those two specifically really resonate because, you know, we've, we've kind of talked about this before. Um, and maybe it's even been like, an interview question, I can't remember, of like, what would you do if you spilled a drink on a guest shirt? Has that ever been an interview question? Uh, it's not a regular one that we do, but I think we've asked it before. Yeah. It, it's been in our orientation a good bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but a crazy answer to that, that would be super cool, is like you you either walk down the street and buy them another shirt or you give them a Valor shirt and a Valor gift card to like make up for the inconvenience yep and you refund their drink or whatever mm-hmm. um so that's kind of the athletic hospitality like turning a bad experience into a great one like that's that's cool that's cool stuff mm-hmm. and then the be the swan one uh that one's good i think about that a lot because we have very open spaces where everyone can hear everyone talking behind the bar so uh we have to admittedly have to constantly uh you know remind ourselves and our peers that you know if the espresso isn't tasting good we gotta like talk about that to each other and not be like oh because <laughs> everyone around can hear that yep and they're they're buying that espresso yeah be the swan baby be the swan hey be the swan yeah what do you guys think is the difference What's the opposite of athletic hospitality? Probably just surviving and not caring. I think at one point it, uh, he was talking about uh, his peers in his industry that worked for other companies would make fun of uh, this hospitality group he was a part of because they cared so much. But he said that uh, this company that he worked for made it cool to they made it cool to care. Yeah, that's the word. I had mm. that mark too. Yeah. And it's, it, man, why not? Why yeah. not take so much pride in your work? It's so much more fun. Mm-hmm. You may, you could have higher highs and lower lows that way because you care so much. But, you know, like, why just work for money when you can work for money and purpose and like to like let the company you're working for, their vision and mission match up with your vision and mission? So, what was your question? 
Uh, basically, it's unathletic hospitality. Uh, yeah, it's 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 the opposite of that. It's just like I'm just doing my job. Like, yeah, I don't care if you're pissed. I don't care if you're gonna come home and your champagne exploded. Yeah, it's not my problem. You're at the restaurant. Yeah, that's hard to teach, dude. Mm-hmm. But having a culture surrounding that, I think, is powerful because I think what we have to do is believe that everybody's got that in them. They got that dog in them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like, if we set this culture of like, hey, we're out here applauding and like dreaming and looking for ways to go above and beyond all the time, and that's what we reward. It's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. This is what's cool at Valor. Yeah. Cool yeah, I think care. recognition is a big part of it. Yeah. Like, whoever did that, the sommelier that day, they don't. their name is not here, but it was mentioned in two books mm-hmm. and like in the canon of stories that this company holds. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Well, nice. Let's uh, tune back in next week for chapter five, huh? Good stuff to chew on. Oh, yeah. Come on now. Uh, hey, comment below. Yeah. Something. Just comment. Just below. comment anything. Colson, uh, please. Maybe... How 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 are you going to display athletic hospitality this week, huh? Hey, yeah, looking for the win. That's called dude. call to action right there. Come Engagement, on baby. Uh, hey, well, we can we can mark that chapter to this podcast close. You want to talk about the draft for a second? Again, timestamps below. Feel free to skip this. No, don't skip this. This is really important to me. But it is important to Ethan. So I just I don't think I talked to you about the draft ross yeah we're all falcons fans here mm-hmm. um what do you think i'm excited i mean i mean i'm excited for falcons football every year and i'm always mostly optim- optimistic are you more excited this year than last absolutely yeah yeah i mean uh the the way that they're building this team is i, th- I feel like b john robinson was the first like go get the big guy pick it's like the first time they've done that because like last year, it was we exceeded expectations in so many ways with a very very young, like cap bloated team, and that just goes to show you the quality of the coaching that is there. Mm-hmm. To like have this group of underdog, young, inexperienced guys, and to fire them up and get them all pointed in the same direction is not easy at all. I don't I don't know how I would do it football we try to do it here it's hard here um and even the the guys that they've signed in free agency like some of them have recognizable names but most of them don't i mean most of them are just like we see something in this guy and we want it building a a program rather than signing faces yeah so you know with the eighth pick of the draft draft the Falcons select B. John Robinson, running back, Texas, right? And it's like the first kind of like billboard name that we since have. probably Julio, as far as like drafting an instant superstar, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like there haven't even, there wasn't really even a superstar in the last draft. Like there was a good players that turned out great. But as far as like press, press and buzz, you know, you have like for sure. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, like those are like big names, you know, and, and mm-hmm. Bijan Robinson was sort of the other offensive side of that. So I'm excited. I'm I'm gonna I was already gonna watch every game, but I'll You guys wanna go to a game? 
be more excited to watch. I want to go to like three games this year. I really do. I think I think I think Bijan really get is going to get some butts in seats and sell some jerseys too. Yeah, the, I, want, the, I want his jersey. The thing always in the back of my mind is like, oh, what if he gets hurt yeah. in training camp? You know, because mm-hmm. there's just sort of that poverty mindset. That's why a, you have two good running backs, though. Of a Falcons fan, of like, oh, it's just always going to go wrong. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. <laughs> I think that he's been pretty resilient in his career so far. Fortunately, I get that, and even with that, I'm like, well, if he was going <laughs> to fail somewhere, it could be Atlanta. Yeah, Dude. but I don't know. I was listening to. Sp- some YouTube anytime I see a YouTube video now that's just like so and so talking about Falcons picking Bijan, I click on it and they were saying it's just very similar to what the Dolphins have done, uh, in that they don't they're like, okay, is Tua the guy? Yeah, and they don't know they or they didn't know if Tua was the guy, and they're like, all right, let's just surround him with incredible weapons and a great offensive line, and if he if he can't do well with that then he's not the guy and we'll figure something else out and they did and they were like okay like he's probably the guy if he can stay not concussed yeah but um it's kind of the same deal with desmond ritter like he has no excuse not to be great this year Mm -hmm. and if he's not then like we figure out something in next year's draft Mm -hmm. and call it a day so we shall see who are some of your other favorites uh draft stocks like from teams like i really liked uh the seahawks getting uh devin witherspoon at five and jsn at 20 uh i thought that was really cool like i liked the lions draft too i mm-hmm. think their deeper picks were really impressive i know they had a pretty controversial round one getting jameer gibbs but i think he's a playmaker don't know much about jack campbell but i'm excited for them um but I think I think they got some really good value in like Brian Branch in the second. Um, anybody coming to mind that you guys liked? Yeah, I like that Lions situation. Um, I heard from my sources they said I mean Jameer Gibbs was projected to go late first or early second, but apparently if the Lions weren't going to take him at twelve, there was like three other teams that were going to take him by twenty. So I think they made the right move there. Um, again, just it kind of akin to the Falcons pick. It's like, yeah, they have like a good running back, you know, like DeAndre Swift is like, you know, a good running back, but like DeAndre Swift is not Jameer Gibbs and Tyler Algier is not Bijan Robinson. Sure. Um, like players who can transform like your organization and be 12 to 1500 yard rush guys. So, like the Lions, hard not to like the Eagles first round, even if it wasn't necessarily like their biggest needs, just because they got tremendous value for the picks that they made. Like Jalen Carter should have been the number one overall pick to the Bears if he wasn't, you know, if he had 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 it had would have had done what he would have had done. His off field issues. Yeah, as they say. he pled not guilty though. So. Yeah. Alleged, allegedly. Come on. Um, and then, obviously, Nolan Smith, who could have gone as early as eight to the Falcons. Yeah. Falling all the way down and them getting that pick. Like, that's a – it's hard not to respect that. Yeah, the Eagles came came to mind for me. Um, I mean, 
it's like the the rich get richer. Yeah, I feel like they're just even more so just a stalwart. You know, mm. like the Texans are entertaining, but I just feel like it's going to blow up in their face. Mm. And I know it's like an out of market thing, and I'm not going to be able to watch any of the games. But like, watch highlights. I could, yeah. I like they just they know how to mess everything up. <laughs> I mean, D'Amico D'Amico Ryan's new there and and i know he's well respected but uh i just i just can't imagine like there's just they don't really have anybody else mm. like it's it's just it's a desert out there they're starting they're starting from almost nothing yeah. You know? yeah so to add two awesome players is great but it's like i remember having see. the same feeling when uh odell jarvis landry and uh baker mayfield were at the browns i was like this is this is gonna be bad <laughs> but I'm, I, I want to watch it. Like, but, but it could be explosive. The Texans, the Texans almost beat the Chiefs, and they threw the threw away the game. They almost beat the Cowboys right at the end. I mean, they they could turn around with the yeah. right coaching. You know, you're so, talking like a Falcons fan. Some, right some now. names we don't know will become names we might know next year. Hey, I also like the Patriots draft. I don't know if you guys saw any of that. Oh yeah, getting getting Christian Gonzalez at 17. Yeah, that, Ooh. and then uh, picking up Keon White in the second round at the top because he he easily could have been a first round pick as well so they got a projected top 10 pick and then a projected first round pick and they got undrafted free agent uh louisville qb malik cunningham who tied tied or broke or got really close to like pretty much all of lamar jackson's wow records in louisville so sounds like a patriots pick highest paid undrafted free agency of all time guaranteed two hundred thousand dollars oh how about that so I saw uh, one of Georgia Tech's running backs, Hassan Hall, got 125k. Uh, Come on, with uh, the Browns, I think that'll be a good fit for him. Be a little change of pace back. I would be remiss, chagrined, mm. if we didn't m- mention Stetson Bennett, uh, our friend who we who Ethan and Ross saw at Village Burger. Well, we we dined with him, yeah, yeah. on the patio at Village Burger. Yeah. Going to the Rams with the the QB whisperer himself, yeah, Sean McVay. I love it. I was telling Riley, I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna get some starting time this year. Mm. Yeah, old Matt Stafford's getting old. He's old, old Matt Stafford. That's what they say about him. Yeah, old, old Matt Stafford. All right, you guys have ten seconds each to predict what Bijan Robinson's number is going to be. Rushing comments. yard total. Is that what you're saying? His number. Oh. On, on his jersey. I see. All right. Wait, ten. because... I can't think of other numbers. Is Drake London's already five? Because I think ten, he's five and... Nine, eight. Eight is... Who's 21? Six. Anyone? Five, four. I feel like he'd go three, three before he two, went. Two, Okay, one. I'm three. going eight. That's Kyle Pitts. Ah, Wrong. crap. <laughs> What'd you say? Three. Three. Well, uh, 21, and then... You guys know we have a number zero now? Yeah, yeah who took it? Uh, Lorenzo Carter. Yeah. All right, guys. We should wrap this part up. <laughs> no, we just we should just keep doing jersey numbers for the rest of the. Twenty one would be cool though, because that yeah. is Dion's number. Is that not D, a DB currently? It doesn't ring any bells. It used to be Desmond Trufant. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. All right. Before we go though, so we, predictions for their record this year because we can this yeah. will now be traceable information. Falcons twenty twenty three to twenty four. I'm going ten seven. I was going to say the same ten seven. I think Bijan will have 
the third most rushing yards of any running back? I'll go 9-8. That's not bad. I think we get a winning season. And I think we still take the division. I think we'll win the division. With a 9-8. You guys think... uh, I'm not even going to say that because it totally is. This is Cordero Patterson's last year with the Falcons. Is this his last year on contract? I think he might have one more, but he's getting cut after this year. He had such a good year two years ago. That was awesome. I've looked forward to seeing him make some plays from the slot this year because I think he will. You think Bajan will get what? 1,300 yards? I'm going to go 15. Okay. I'll say 1,200. I'm thinking on the low end, too, because of rotation rotation, and how much they want to use him in the slot. Arthur Smith's our coach, though. That's the only reason I'm saying that. I will, just like no. I feel like he has another, not Derrick Henry under his fingers, but like similar. And we, got a, we invested in run-blocking linemen. Yeah, true. Two of them. It's going to be fun. Uh, I just wanted to start though. Like Me now too. is the most just like the worst camp. What? Yeah, camp. I think we should go to Flowery Branch, watch some practices. I'd go. Honestly, yeah. that sounds fun. I'd go. Hey, maybe we can. Uh, you know, I'd take Giselle. She would love it. Uh, I got a Julio Jones autograph at camp one time. There you go. Wow. And I I, I, I lost this shirt. What? So, dude, I don't have it anymore. Hey, you can wear your Kyle Pitts jersey and get him to sign it. Kyle, Kyle. No, dude, wear Kyle. your Kyle Pitts jersey and get uh, Johnny Smith to sign it. Johnny, Johnny. I'm excited to watch Johnny. Come on, like now. he's got some good highlights. All right, <laughs> extraction. We got twenty. We got minutes. so much on extraction. Okay, yep. Ross. I I bought the the Moonraker. What does that mean? The Moonraker. That's what it's called. It's called the Moonraker. Yeah. Is that the WDT spinny thing? Yeah. Nice. How much did you spend? It's absurd. How much? I didn't personally buy it. Valor bought it. Oh, I know. <laughs> and I had to buy. He two. bought it with his tax return. <laughs> I, I had to buy one for each cafe and one for the roastery, just for like training. Just to like, yeah. So the price is—it's a tough pill to swallow. And then they—they they should make something cheaper uh-huh. someday. But they were two seventy-five a piece. Damn. But so we gotta let you go, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna make our coffee better. That's the good news. Yeah. Hey, anything to make the product better. Um, anything. For our listeners out there, uh, Weber Workshops. All right. Ever heard <clears throat> of them? You've heard of Weber Grills. If anybody had any doubt that we will give the most honest reviews of anything, then you will have no doubt after this because of how much money we just spent on it. That's right. Um, so I like the WDT tool. I think... You know, cheap ones, I think they're good. I know it's not new technology, that one commenter that one time. I know, okay? <laughs> I, <laughs> what? <laughs> I just think about you going to sleep at night being like, that, I know it's not new technology. <laughs> yeah, all You don't these, think I don't know that? Uh, you know who I am! So I'm Raleigh! Uh, Weber, if you're listening, you need to have more pictures of the underside of this just right here because it's annoying. That's the only side that people care about. Yeah. So it looks like a a clock, a watch. A timepiece. A timepiece. And the reason it is is because these gears spin to create like a oh there's a better picture. Um you sorry Weber, you have pictures on here. That's great. It's not that good. Um 
It's a spirograph movement. So, all right, is the first one a pentagram? Because I'm not. We're gonna have to send it back. Whoa. No, it's just it, that's an X-ray of showing what happens as you go along. It's like if you do enough turns, that is how declumped it gets, and how those touch every single bit and aren't touching the same place that they had touched before. Mm. How long you gotta spin that thing on there? I think it. I think it's saying that optimal is ten turns. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's a lot, and we probably won't do that much. However, one, two, three, four, max, max yeah. four. <laughs> but but four is still great. It's still gonna be great. Ten or um, nothing. Alfred <laughs> Alfred is doing ten. Done what he can do for sure, mm, but Alfred sure. is not not gonna settle. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's like someone orders an espresso. Ten turns. Sure. I want to know so how. Latte, I want to know how turns. one turn and ten turns would change the extraction percentage. Yeah. We'll, we'll run some tests. We'll get we'll, we'll get Sam on that. Um, Sam, but yeah, pretty cool, pretty cool little item. I'm excited to try it out and see. I, I I've been waiting for a more efficient WDT tool within the cafe environment, and Did, I think this is it because Barista Hustle is producing one. And it's like huge and just looks completely unrealistic to use. Sorry, Priest Hustle. Yeah. Uh, do you use standard or ultra? We went standard because the ultra was $500. I What's thought we would do anything to make our coffee better. Uh, the ultra just has metal gears. I think that's the, the, the difference. As opposed to plastic? Yeah. I think they're trying to sell the ultra to people who like, Probably wear Rolexes and home espresso people and, and make home espresso, which is which is like that's fire. Yeah, don't get me wrong. If you make home espresso, consider uh, buying our coffee. This is our in ad that we paid for an in. What's it called? Live mid roll. Yeah, like when it's live. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, buy our coffee for home. Uh yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Excited to try it. Speaking of WDT. Uh, can you explain what that is to the listeners? Yeah, they know. They know. They Trust know. me, they know. They're good. Yeah, they don't. They don't need. To know. All right. Hey, for me, <laughs> just can kidding. you say it to me? Yeah. So a WDT tool, a lot of times, uh, in its most simple form, is just a bunch of uh, acupuncture needles that you rake through your coffee, usually espresso, to completely declump and homogen- homogenize. Would you say? It's just like a whisk. Pasteurized? Yeah. You're just, it's just the m- redistribution that really, really works. Uh, so you're going to create no channels. You're going to create a perfect bed. And then it's going to increase your extraction percentage because of those things. And, and that's a good thing. But what does WTDT stand for? Weiss distribution technique. W E I S S? Yeah. I don't know. I'm just a stock fleth guy myself, so I'm more of a SDT. Yeah. So it's just I think I think the the crux of it is that there's this forum online called Home Barista, and this Weiss guy. I think his name might have been like Josh Joshua Weiss. Or a Weiss like guy. Yeah. He was, he was a real Weiss guy. Uh, he he came up with it, so now it's named after him, just from like a home barista forum. Just a guy on a forum. <laughs> yeah. We gotta get him on the podcast. That's hilarious. True. Uh, yeah. I wonder if he's getting a cut of any of this. No way. No way. So nice man, wise man. Uh, the other day, uh, we, we we are always trying to improve our our pour overs. 
Um, which, by the way, on our last episode, we talked about the Curtis Seraphim. Ooh. And uh, how we have lots of problems with it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we had something to correct, didn't we? Well, when I looked up the manual, there was a setting. Mm-hmm. Have we looked into that at all? Not since we talked about it. But my analysis of that at the time and still is like I did that mm-hmm. and it wasn't there. Yeah. But anyways, it's it's e- even with that, the temperature side of things is also complete BS. Oh, you have to trick the machine to give you what you need. Meaning if you want 202 degree water, you have to tell the boiler the boiler to uh, like, you know, be set to like two oh nine. Boo. <laughs> Maybe our water is just ice cold, <laughs> but then it goes into the boiler and it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> It's got like a it's got like a big boy boiler down there. Absolutely, it's not even like the tone. I get I would get it if it was the tone. But all right, yeah, you're trying to go tankless. I get it. Yeah, but I'm like, come on. Yeah, and uh, whenever we're crapping on this stuff, this gear, it take it with a grain of salt. As far as like, this is not a, a review of a fully qualified technician. Wow, this is. The review of the common man who is just trying to make this work, which is everyone, you know. Yeah. And so, if if some of this is not fully clear or not fully true, then and there's things that are wrong with these machines, they will likely be wrong for everybody else. And to be fair, you did contact technicians. Yes, I did. So, all right. So the other day, Sam went into the cafe and the Slow ca- down. cafe in Dunwoody. Glug, glug, glug. And he did the thing that you always do whenever you bring a refractometer to test your coffee. And the thing that happens when you refract your coffee is you realize that your coffee is severely under extracted every time. Every time we've refracted something, it's been like, oh. Oh. We, need, we need to increase our extracted percentage by like a lot. Um, and that's exactly what happened. He, he brewed some pour overs and uh, it was definitely under extracted. And that's the thing about the taste test when you're dialing in coffees is that whenever a coffee is that under extracted, it's almost hard to tell if it's over or under extracted. And the mm. same is true if something is severely over extracted. I don't know if you guys have have experience this yourselves but there's a point at which something is so far off that you can't really tell what it is you're not even on the map yeah um (laughs) he also noticed a good bit of channeling in the coffee bed post brew which brings us back to wdt wow the system that he suggested we implement is that we let the bloom happen on the coffee and during the bloom we stir and then the the rest of the the brew continues and he realized that when he uh when he stirs the extraction percentage goes up a fair amount Mm. yeah which to be clear on the stirring thing some people do a wet wdt 
stir is what Ross is talking about, where you get the WDT tool. If you're doing a pour over specifically, it maybe like, you know, you do a dry redistribution, you do your bloom, and then you stir it again with the WDT tool. And it's been known to increase extraction percentage a good bit. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, water's hitting a bunch of stuff, and it seems very rational that it would, like, clump together. Yep. We've always had trouble over-extracting our coffees. Absolutely. Why? East Coast soft water BS. I mean, what could it be? It, it's. I don't think it's because the grinders we have are bad. We have EK43s. It's kind of like the best. Um, we're buying the top-of-the-line equipment on all accounts. I mean, we just got a freaking whatever you call that thing. We just Moonraker, bought. dude. Exhibit F. Uh, I don't think it's because I think we roast incredible coffee. Um, I don't think our water is not hot enough in this last case it was, but what you're talking about is not just this last case. You're talking about like in general, we could use more extraction on our coffees. Mm-hmm. Like if I pulled out the refractometer and it was just like 26%, I'd be like, now we're talking. Yeah. Because then we could dial it back. It's just, it's a lot easier to extract less than to extract more. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, maybe we could give some quick insight into the terms we're using, like refractometer, extraction percentages, and TDS. Yeah. Okay, I'll take uh, TDS, total dissolved solids. So when you use a refractometer, it's put it's sending light through your solution and telling you how many parts of that solution is water and how many is it something else like coffee in our situation uh or pizza or yeah it could be like a pizza for sure um it's often used in like sugar like confectionery kitchens uh for like getting the right sugar ratios funny enough i learned that huh huh uh but common tds range so like basically if we refracted an espresso it would be like 10 percent of the espresso is actual coffee i think that range is what like eight to twelve percent typically no for espresso yeah uh i think that you're maybe so tds and extraction percentages are different numbers yeah tds isn't a percentage it's just like a eight to it's just a number eight to twelve and then you use a formula and no matter what coffee you're brewing, that's the number you're really trying to get because TDS is like whatever because it's all relative to like how you brew coffee and the ratios you use and stuff. But TDS is re- relative to strength, right? It, it it is yes. So like with a with a coffee, like a a, a filter coffee is going to be like one, and then an espresso is going to be like a much higher number. I'm saying you always run those through a formula, and then you receive a number that's like. 18 to 22%. And that's the number. Because like, if you you taste a filter coffee at 22% and an espresso at 22%, odds are both of them are extracted well. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then, and then you don't have to look at that TDS number and like think about strength as much. You can just be thinking about. Yeah. 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 I think we're totally on the same page. I was trying to just get the, the number, the range of the number for TDS of espresso. Mm. And I think it is, I, I thought it was a percentage because it relates to like with drip too. It's like 0.8 to like 1.4. And I think that means that like it's out of 100 it's like 99% water and like 0.8% coffee solids mm. out of like the parts per 100. But I can do some research there. But yeah, but then you just take that number. Oh, I don't know the extraction percentage formula off the top of my head. Yeah, it, it just involves um, your dose, your yield, and your TDS. And then you you can look up the extraction formula. Yeah, I don't know what off the top of my head to do. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Well, so the, the, the reason the TDS and the extraction percentage are linked is the TDS is more of just a, like, it, it can give you that number no matter what information you give it. Yeah. Whereas the extraction percentage is, like, the TDS relative to the dose and the yield. Yeah. Right. It's, it's output times TDS divided by yield. Pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Output meaning how much the coffee, the liquid coffee yeah. weighs post brew. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then the yield is how much water you used. Yes. To brew the coffee. Wait, no. Okay, what is it? The because you don't. Yeah, you're right. You're right. the The yield isn't isn't used in the formula though. Is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. It's output times TDS divided by input dose. Ah, okay. Heard. Um, I, I might have said the wrong thing the first time. I thought I heard you say yield, but maybe maybe you didn't. I don't know. I'm so sorry. We got it all recorded. We'll go back and yeah. figure out who's sort right and who's wrong. Yeah. We'll sort it out. What, but with extraction percentage, we're talking about how much coffee can, how much of coffee is even soluble, able to get dissolved into water. Yeah. And it's not 100%, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. when we're saying 20s, it's not like we're so off the mark. Because only so much of it can get dissolved into water. Um, I think typical quality range would be what eighteen, maybe nineteen to up to twenty-four, mm-hmm. and then that's maybe where you start dialing preference of taste and strengths. Yeah, but you want to get it as high as you can, and just like see what happens. Yeah, well, and- that's that's the wasn't that what Perger? Oh, yeah suggested i mean like a key principle for dialing in any coffee is try to keep on extracting more 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 until you start to get it over extracted and then back off a little bit and that's your prime like you know prime extraction uh caveat we've noticed as has matt perger and many other coffee professionals uh that we if we if we go too fine then we start to under-extract coffees. Yes. How about that? Care to comment? Probably because of what you're about to say. Go ahead. Channeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All that clumpage. Here's a fun little thing. I made a huge pour-over on this Chemex. 60 grams, like a basically 1,000-gram yield, uh, 960. 
and I ground it not as coarse as I should have because I don't know what to do because I haven't made a Chemex in 15 years. Uh, but I used the WDT before and during the bloom, mm-hmm. and I saw like coffee that wasn't touched by water, which is really interesting. Um, and the entire brew time took over 10 minutes. <laughs> and it's fire. And it's amazing. I remember we used to work with this uh, guy, guy, if any Southeast coffee professionals uh, may know him, Spencer Latimer. And he would always talk about, uh, he, w- he was always such a nerd with coffee in the best way. And he would always talk about, yeah, man, you just got to gotta increase your brew times. More brew time. Like anything you can do to increase brew times. <clears throat> and I would always be like, yeah, but we got customers to serve. That's what I would think. Um, but in other words, like, yes, we could make our batch brews take 10 minutes. You're like the boss is like, so can we use these grounds twice? <laughs> like, can we can we run them back through the Surely machine? Surely it's got more to give. Well, it's just like, you know, a perspective of a guy that brews coffee in a lab all the time versus the perspective of a guy that, like, serves customers. Uh, and at that time, I know we were on a, like, single uh, single batch brewer, you know. So it's oh, like, yeah. oh, our pot's gone. Just give us about 15 minutes, and yeah. we'll have three cups ready to serve. Yep. Right. So, I mean, that's a case in point. Uh, case and point. Who's case and point? Hi, I'm case and point. 10-minute <laughs> um, brew time on a 60-gram dose on a pour-over. Our brew time for our Curtis batch brews, which are 226-gram doses, are like seven minutes. Oh, eight. Come on. Eight? Yeah. Well, it's still still case and point. Um, case in the point. But anyways, yeah, incre- increasing brew times. I mean, uh, there's a lot of different ways we could go. I mean, just to, to wrap up the refractometer conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a very practical application of this was what Sam did at Dunwoody the other day. So he, he brewed a pour over and step-by-step step, what he did was he wrote down the dose which was 25 grams of coffee and he weighed the output which like we already said is the the liquid weight of the the brown coffee the brown water Come on. liquid um and then he put that liquid into the refractometer the refractometer gave him the TDS, which is a number that speaks to strength. And then he used that number, the TDS, along with the dose and the output and got the extraction percentage. And let's just say, I, I don't remember what he told me, what the extraction percentage was, but let's say it was like 14, 14%. Oof. Don't say that. Let's say it was like 14. Do you think it was that low? I don't know. But I do know he was... He was disgusted. <laughs> In a word, I broke a lot of stuff. <laughs> he started throwing shit. Um, and so, what? Well, like the thing that he did in that situation is okay. Well, what do I do? I don't want to make the coffee stronger. I want to increase the extraction percentage. So two different things. Because the strength was good. Yeah, the TDS was acceptable, but the TDS relative to the dose and the yeah. output was which is the extraction percentage was not good. And so he just started going finer and finer and finer. And he was 
grinding these pour overs at five on the EK when they were being ground at nine. Mm. So he did that and he also thought, okay, what are my other variables? The first thing I need to do before I change anything is make sure that we're actually like getting a good ex- like extraction mechanically speaking. So that's why he started stirring the grounds because it doesn't matter how great your grinder is. It doesn't matter what the coffee you know reads as TDS wise. If you're getting channeling, then that's the first thing to address. So he started stirring the grounds, broke up the clumps, eliminated the channeling. And then from there, I think he upped the temperature because even though the boiler was set to 202, it was giving us like 190 degree Fahrenheit Aww. water, which, um, yeah, which is frustrating. But we'll see you in court, Curtis. Curtis. <laughs> we want damages they, no, from. They're the, going to take us to court for libel, defamation, defamation. Yeah, hey, whatever. Defecation. That's for later. Um, but yeah, so he upped the temperature because the hotter the water, the more extraction you get. And it's not like he like raised it to this unreasonable amount. He just raised it to what it should be, 202. And then he set it, set the grinder to five. And that was how he was able to get a an acceptable extraction percentage, which I can't remember what he told me, but he, he got the extraction percentage to go up. I wonder how that tasted because, you know, everything we've said, the din to day, mm, how's it, how's it going to taste? Right. Dough. Yeah. Do you remember how it tasted? I haven't had the chance to taste it. I wonder if Sam's here. Dude, run, here. don't walk to Dunwoody right now and taste it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's all of this sort of lab talk, but then there's the application, and that's kind of where I come in as one of the leaders of that cafe team. Yep. Um, and w- what I was suggesting is, is like, if we're going to add a step in the whole process. Was of, he here? He's not here. I'm going to call him in. If we're going to add a step, add a step in the brew process of a pour over, then we need to make it as like streamlined and convenient as possible. Yeah. Because one reason we have those brewers in the first place is because we don't want to be standing there the whole time um, making a pour over. And so I suggested that we do a bloom, uh, a bloom button. Yeah. And then at the end of the bloom, uh, the chime goes off which reminds you to walk back over stir and then there's another button which is the rest of the brew sequence post bloom so hey sam you're on the podcast hey hey sam hey uh dude we're just talking about your journeys in refracting on friday thing man uh to put it concisely i mean you don't have to tell us because we've already talked about all of it i just had a couple of questions for you oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's great hit me what was the number that was the bad number when you got there extraction percent how low did it go it was like 13.8 percent worse than we expected <laughs> man and what did you get it to like 20.4 yo Wow. Dang, son. Uh, yeah, we're just kind of talking about refractometers and how how they work and extraction percentage and TDS and stuff. And we were mentioning that, you know, you can get it to a good number. And that's kind of the, 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 the beauty of the refractometer. It's, it just kind of helps you 
along the way, but you really want to taste the coffee at the end and see how that is working. So how was the coffee tasted, man? It was great. I definitely agree. I think I kind of think of the reflectometer as like a tool to guide you, like point you in the right direction, but you still kind of have to go there and like check out the coffee. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it was tasting great. It tastes like a pour over. It's interesting because we have it on drip right now as well. So or we have swoon on drip. And so I was making pour overs of swoon on Friday and it's like, there are just sort of, uh what's the word like sort of hallmark differences between how a pour over tastes and how like a batch brew tastes and so that was there but as far as like it was a nice it was very light body but no like wateriness or like hollowness and uh it was very like florally and like tea like so it was delicious. I really enjoyed it. Um, it took a long time to get it there, but I was pleased when I left on Friday. Beautiful. Thank you for your work, Sam. Hey, yo. Thank you, Sam. And thank you, guys. All right, man. You're, hey. you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Love you. Bye-bye. That brings me to uh, maybe one of the last things we can talk about. And this is full circle as far as something they mentioned in the book. <clears throat> he was talking about, uh, you know, the, the guy who wrote this book was he's he was the manager of the front of house, right? Is that? Yeah, chef. So he was talking about his experience working at this restaurant called Tabla and how he really admired the chef and how the chef wanted all of the front of house workers to come through the kitchen mm-hmm. to see the process. And little did he know he was just given a bunch of prep work to do. And he was talking about uh, how the chef was standing over his shoulder watching him dice an onion, which is, I feel like dicing an onion is like really, really low, you know, work as far as prep goes, but it's like, there's a way to do it that I'm, you know, I'm sure a chef has a really like specific way to do it. And inevitably the author completely messed up the, the dice of the onion and the chef just threw it away. And it made me think about the term that we use a lot, the range of excellence and how, you know, like in that example, the author was praising the chef for having such a high bar for his diced onion, but he like wasted this onion, you know, and it just makes me think about like, is our range of excellence too big sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. and it, and the practical application of that is, you know, you have one end of the spectrum where we're training all these new people and they're getting their reps in. And one of the biggest, one of the biggest, you know, moments where you got to show your talent as a barista is steaming milk and pouring latte art. And when people, people ask all the time in the cafe, like, Hey, is this servable? Like they'll, they'll pour a drink and you know, they're learning how to do it. And so they're not expert yet. They're, they've been doing this for a month and they're the people that we've hired have done so incredible with learning latte art and, and growing in that way. But that's a a question that I get all the time is like, is this an acceptable pour to serve to a guest, you know? Mm -hmm. And I I just think about that all the time. Like what, what if I, I sat on the extreme end of the spectrum and just said like, no, 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 
okay, just let me do it. You know, like sometimes that's necessary. Like sometimes like I really do like, well, I'll step in and just be like, okay, I'm going to pour this because we got to keep making drinks. Yeah. Um, I mean, what do you guys think about that? Like, do you ever think about our range of excellence and you're in a different field than we are, Riley, as far as coffee, roasting coffee, packaging, all that stuff. Um, the question's still there, though, a, a lot. And, I mean, Sam, at this point, probably knows more about roasting than I do. But, you know, hey, this this batch did this in your experience. Should we send it or no? Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, what do I think about it? Yeah. Do you ever question... Is our range of excellence too wide or too narrow? I think the goal uh, is that you just get it smaller and smaller and smaller, you know? Um, and, yeah. you know, your range of excellence isn't the same across product. Mm-hmm. And that might be controversial, but it's just the truth. Like, you can put a 30-second shot in, or not even 30 seconds, you can put a 35-second shot in a 16-ounce lavender vanilla. You can't put a 35-second shot in a shot glass and serve it to to the guest and like in a demi, you know? Um, so, you know, you have to establish those things for yourself and it's just so fluid. It's just like, there's so much gray area from business to business. Yeah, I'm sure that, um, a, a place whose menu is, uh, white, black pour over is going to be a lot different than our menu. And yeah, that is what it is. But, um, you know, it's, if I know a coffee's going into cold brew, like, and the ROR was just off a little bit, yeah, it's, it's gonna be fine. If it's but if the curve for Colombia Felipe Trujillo kombucha process is way off, that's a completely different story. And when you say fine, you you mean it's gonna be great? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's gonna it's, taste exactly the same. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um. So yeah. That, I think that's what we try to step into a lot more. I think I had more um, fear as a leader earlier on where I was like, just trust me, it's okay. Let's not test it. Just take my word for it. Because mm-hmm. I'm in that scenario a lot in the cafe. But now I've been in a place where someone asked that question, and I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Let's see. Let's try it, yeah. Yeah. Hey, how long should we leave a shot out before we can put it in? Like, How long does it take before we can put it in a drink? It's like, huh, I don't know. Let's let's put one on the shelf, put a timer on 15 minutes, and get back there and taste it. Yeah. Someone was like, hey, is uh, Luke. Luke was like, hey, what do you think about prepping shots versus letting shots sip, sit made and how long those can last? And I'm like, oh, it's a great question. Let's let's get at it. Let's because I want to know what's great. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, I don't. Let's let's see how. Let's see how like tight we can create this range of excellence where it's like perfect. But what you're saying, I think, is very real. Like bringing new people on, you almost widen your uh, your range of excellence. Just gets a little wider in general, and then the goal is just like yeah. shrink it back or figure out what hill you want to die on and be like, all right. I'm going to be ex- I'm going to pour all for here drinks mm-hmm. and this person's going to do dishes for 6 months. Yeah. And then they'll learn how to pull shots and then they'll learn how to take orders. And yeah. then after a year of working in Valor, they'll touch the steam wand. Mm-hmm. Which that that's that could work for some people. It's just that I think it depends on 
what are you're going to be sacrificing a lot when you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love something that both of you guys said. I love what you said about uh, how are we setting, how are we you know uh, shrinking that range of excellence, and we as the top leaders in this company, our whole job should be a big part of our jobs should be how do we set our team up for success to where the system itself is so good that it, that you don't have to be the best barista in the world to accomplish this small range of excellence. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing with this pour over. Like we're trying to analyze it and get it to a place where, anyone can do it and it's completely excellent. And I love what you said, Ethan, about like people are relying on you to make a call on whether or not something is acceptable or not. Yeah. But you say, I don't know because you're in your being truthful there, which is great, but you're including that person in on the process of like, let's figure this out together mm-hmm. so that like our employees don't just rely on the leaders to, answer every question but the onus is on them to figure out systems and like take ownership in that way i feel like the best the best leaders do that like they don't just answer every question you know even though it feels good to like give someone direction and they listen to you like really that's not a scalable behavior yeah um because there's gonna be days that you're not there not not for me (laughs) yeah every (laughs) day a week uh, yeah, I, you know, we can that's kind of evident, evidenced, evidenced, evidence, evanescence, it's kind of evanescenced by the fact, you know, I was talking about that moonraker <laughs> thing, like that is a, talking about the moonraker, that is a way to <laughs> narrow our range of excellence. Yeah. And that's like the entire point of doing something like that. And we've done that over and over again, you know, sometimes to our chagrin where oh. it's like, okay, there's this piece of equipment it's apparently the new best thing. It's going to make our coffee taste way better. I mean, realistically, like we're the owners of this company. And at the end of the day, that money that's being spent is money that is no longer ours. Yeah. Oops. And, and we have done that <laughs> over and over again of like, okay, you know, uh, E80 is out. It's supposed to be the best. Yeah. We're going to buy it and we're going to try to make our coffee better. You know that 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 one didn't work. But the, uh, the yeah. reason we do and that, we're sued by Mount Koenig to, <laughs> yeah, for defamation. <laughs> it, the reason we're doing that is because we believe there's a higher ceiling. Yeah, for sure. And it's like one one way you could go about it is just buy an Eversys and give people very very minimal training. But you're going to have a lower ceiling. Mm-hmm. It, you're going to get to that for ceiling now. way faster. You will reach your greatest height way faster than we might. But we're buying all of this highly manual, the the perfect intersection of manual, efficient, and like consistent, like consistent, you know, kind of equipment, and trying to be like, okay, yes, we could buy an Eversys, but what if we bought more manual equipment, invested more in training, and invested more in all these different pieces? We believe there'll be a higher ceiling to hit. Mm. It's just kind of a different mindset than just. Almost like the I don't know if anybody out there has read the book E Myth, but the big th- big thing about E Myth is like you want your technicians to be able to just walk right into the job and you know know how to do it and rely on the system more than each individual person. Um, and there's so much good in that, but I feel like the E Myth mindset is just hey buy an Eversys 
and, and hire nice people and serve yeah. good to like great coffee. And we might have a concept where we do that someday. <laughs> Lord willing, I would love to. <laughs> yeah. Because there's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah, for sure. Just um, what do you want? The roasting side, those progressions are just so much more expensive. That's the bummer. Yeah, all the gears. Color grader. Yeah, like if we uh, wanted to go buy like a, a Sovda, Sovda Pearl Mini color sorter. Mm-hmm. It's like $45,000 or something like that. Hey, we got 30 on Indiegogo. We should do another one. 50 for the roastery. <laughs> for the color. <laughs> Help us buy a color sorter. That is such a funny progression. It's like, okay, we have a $30,000 Indiegogo to open a cafe. And then the next one is $45,000 to buy a color sorter for a roastery that nobody will ever go to. Do you like oh, buying good. coffee from Valor but wish it was like 3% better? <laughs> <laughs> now is your opportunity. That is funny. Uh, I can't think of a better way to end than talking about the Sovda color grader. Yeah. Pearl mini, dude. The, yeah. The, yeah, the pearl mini. You can't make this stuff up. I uh, love you guys so much. Yeah, this was fun. Good times. Love Thank you. Thank you, Sam, for tuning in. Um, calling in. Call, yep, calling in. And thanks for letting me talk about football for a second. That was, that was probably my favorite part. And thanks for letting us talk about the book. Thanks, shout out to Ethan. Not me, the other Ethan, for recommending this book. Yep. Yeah. It's touched me. Me too. I'm touched. Boop. All Love right. you. Bye. Love you.